0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Lights, Camera, Action, a podcast about women in politics taking action. I'm Haley Goldsmith, and my partner in this endeavor is Keerthi Jayaraman. We are both rising sophomores at the University of Pennsylvania, and we are embarking on this podcast journey um, as a result of our participation in Power in Place, which is an organization that we are both collaborating with this summer devoted to highlighting the stories of women in politics and inspiring young women to enter the political sphere. We will devote each of our podcast episodes to discussing a particular documentary that features the stories of women in various political positions. We will be sharing our overall impressions and having conversations about important and challenging themes. We hope this podcast will inspire you to consider watching these documentaries yourself, and learning more about the role that women deserve to play in making important decisions and taking action to improve our world. We hope you enjoy. Okay, so this week, we're going to be talking about Makers, Women Who Make America, which is a docu-series that was produced by PBS a few years ago. In this episode, it's called Woman in Politics, and from PBS, they describe the episode as view profiles of women in public office who were first in their fields, from the first woman elected to Congress in 1916 to a young woman running for Detroit City Council in 2013, The documentary explores the challenges confronting American women in politics. So one of the things that this particular episode does is it views kind of the evolution of women in politics as seen through kind of examples of actual women that were elected. One of the things that was explored was the widow's route, which prior to women truly getting elected on their own, They would essentially only be elected into their position based on the fact that their husbands died, who were in office, and then they'd be appointed after the fact. And this usually consisted of women having to follow their husband's agenda and voting along party lines. And it was usually for a short period of time, honestly, just to finish up like what their husband kind of already was setting out to do. And so this is definitely problematic and was a barrier to women really getting into politics. But at the time, it was the only way for women to participate in politics. Even after women winning the right to vote in 1920, really, they still could only be behind the scenes of campaigns. The episode refers to this kind of involvement as licking and sticking because they could pretty much only get involved in politics in very like administrative ways and behind the scenes ways. And they just weren't really running for office besides being appointed as a result of their husband's dying. And the first woman who really broke away from this trend was Margaret Chase Smith, who was the wife of a Republican congressman. And although she was appointed when he died, she did end up winning a special election to complete his term and then was reelected on her own four times. So this was really a big deal because although she had originally gotten into office as kind of a product of this widow's route, she actually was able to get elected by her own merit on her own. She was the first woman to serve in both houses of Congress. And Margaret Chase Smith also kind of broke away from tradition by not always voting along with her party and breaking away from the political views that her husband originally held. And she did end up breaking away from Republican Party viewpoints at times and denouncing McCarthyism. So she was really a big deal and demonstrating a big milestone of the evolution of women in politics. And she ended up leaving office in 1973. But the way that she held office definitely set, set the stage for other women to enter into politics later on.
1: And also the docuseries goes into a series of women that were the first in their fields according to their identities. So Shirley Chisholm was actually one woman that was featured briefly in this docuseries, uh, noting the fact that she was the first Black woman in Congress. Another woman that they actually look into a lot is Pat Schroeder. And a story that they associate with her in this docuseries I found to be pretty pertinent and interesting. And she mentioned how the Armed Services Committee had no women sitting on this uh, committee that was mainly made up of white men. And I think that it was really interesting because she said that at the time, people said that the army was basically something that was in place to protect women and children. Pat Schroeder said, if this is your goal, then why are there no women sitting on this committee? So seeing that need, she was eventually appointed to be part of the committee. But the chairman still held a grudge against uh, Schroeder and Dellums actually being able to be part of the committee. And one thing that he said that's really stuck with me in the documentary was that he claimed that they were both worth half a regular member, both of them being Schroeder and Dellums, and he proceeded to give them one chair for both of them to sit on because he said, as chairman of the armed services committee, I still have the power to determine how many chairs are in the dais, and he proceeded to only give one chair for both Schroeder and Dellums to use during these meetings. And I thought that was a very symbolic instance in this docu-series that they pointed out, because even when women were making this one step forward, there was still a lot of bias and discrimination that was experienced within the politics rooms, and these are behind closed doors. So I think having stories like that, that actually have like a physical representation of women's votes or women's thoughts being considered to be half a member or being worth half of actually having something to contribute to the table was really interesting with this physical manifestation that Schroeder was able to experience on the Armed Services Committee. Another woman that they bring up is someone that uh, we both are talking about is kind of like in the back of our memory, but her legacy actually is often not really regarded in the way that it should be. And that woman being Geraldine Ferraro, uh, she was the first woman to be nominated to run for vice president during Mondale's campaign. And one thing that is often forgotten is that she permanently changed the political landscape by being nominated to be vice president, to run as vice president in the United States. And the doc series kind of claims that this is a moment that inspires millions. It's a moment in history. and one woman that they interviewed during the series mentioned that it almost didn't matter that she didn't win. It was the symbolism of the moment. And I think that Geraldine Ferraro does an excellent job of representing that in the documentary and the docuseries. And it was also uh, very pertinent for me to remember that. because She's kind of one of those figures in history that's mentioned, but never explained. And I think that her legacy was more properly portrayed in this episode than we typically see in classrooms which I think was something really interesting to take into consideration but yeah also the episode really goes into a lot of different themes and one thing that was definitely shown throughout the the series was uh differentiating women from men running for politics like in office especially so women were being asked like if they would have time for their responsibilities, being labeled as too emotional. And the role of money was something that they focused on a lot in this episode, which I thought was something that is very relevant because especially in America where we have so much capitalism and it's kind of what runs our society, money is something that is of issue and often translates to opportunity and is part of the reason why women had such a hard time getting involved in the first place. One logic that they said that a lot of people told them when they tried to run for office was that they said that women probably can't raise money, so they're not going to get any money from their party, which I think is just a hypocritical way of thinking about it, because do you just because you think a woman's not going to be able to raise money, therefore you don't donate any. I thought that that was an interesting point that a lot of Congress women brought up as they were being interviewed, as this was like a common theme that a lot of them experienced when running for office. And... I think that this oftentimes actually brought about a movement where women wanted to support women. And this comes in the form of Emily's List being an organization that was featured in this episode. And I like the slogan that they had for EMILY's List being um, early money is like yeast, and like we'll make the dough rise for a woman's for a woman candidate. And I think that was like a very interesting pertinent like way to explain it because money does support um, politics and that's how politics run and when women don't have access to that then how are they expected to make their impact and I think organizations like Emily List were like still relevant in starting this movement of women starting to support each other in politics and recognizing that their voice is valid and needed in different issues.
0: Yeah and adding on to that this this type of kind of grassroots fundraising where women are trying to support other women financially, especially, um, kind of comes in the form today with Kristen Gillibrand, who recently started a political action committee called Off the Sidelines. And she has raised over 5 million or almost 5 million, um, directly raising money to support women candidates. And this is just really important because it does show that women really do have the power to support other women getting into politics. And it started earlier on with Barbara Mikulski running and her, her fundraising coordinator starting this whole Emily's List, Early Money is Like Yeast, and now it's continuing today with Kirsten Gillibrand, who's really trying to raise money when the party refuses to support women in the way that they should be. And this is definitely really important. And it kind of brings us to the idea of women trying to support women regardless of their their party affiliation so this goes up when when women in politics might vote across party lines specifically in congress how women are coming together beyond party boundaries a lot of republican women even if they don't they don't particularly agree on issues with democrats it doesn't really matter and they still reach across party lines to reach a solution and this was shown in the this particular documentary episode with the government shutdown and how the women were particularly integral with figuring out a solution for the shutdown and talking across party boundaries because they had already been so accustomed to reaching across party lines for this, for this shared cause of getting other women elected. So women really are accustomed to working together across party lines. And this was something that they actually criticized the men for being unable to do as efficiently, which I thought was, was really cool to hear. And something that this episode also focuses on is the importance, the importance behind why it's so necessary to elect more women. It reminded um, us of this difference between sociological representation versus agency representation and representation. The Institute for Social Research at University of Michigan has a really good um, definition for, for differentiating these two types of representation in politics. Essentially, sociological representation is when legislators represent their districts based on the same educational, ethnic, gender, racial, or religious background as their constituents. So like in this way, it's important for the constituents to be represented by having a woman represent them because women are underrepresented in Congress. And under sociological representation, shared characteristics are assumed to make the legislators similar to, and therefore represented, representative of the needs of the constituency. Whereas agency representation is when representatives may not share the same background characteristics as their constituents, but they are expected to act in the best interests of those they represent and that is just where they're held accountable through the electoral process and that tends to be kind of the the excuse for not having enough sociological representation meaning like oh well if the legislator represents us and still does a good job then it probably doesn't matter but this this particular episode does demonstrate that sociological representation is very important because women in politics and At this point, kind of the shortcomings of there not being enough ethnic or racial diversity in Congress kind of shows that, well, legislators can't necessarily be sympathetic or understanding of the issues of the constituents if they don't share the same backgrounds as the constituents. So it definitely touches on the importance of sociological representation. And one particular example that's brought up in this episode was the Anita Hill hearings, because basically... The entire Senate Judiciary Committee was made up of white males who could not, who could not really understand at all the grief or the the really real concerns of Anita Hill, um, and that really inspired a lot of women and women of color to try to get into politics. And there's actually a really great clip from an interview with Nikki Nice, who is one of the councilwomen on the Oklahoma City Council, who who actually, the Anita Hill hearings were very important for her reasons for running for politics and getting involved in local politics for this idea of sociological representation.
2: Well, I was 12 when it happened, when that whole case occurred. And I remember my mom allowed me to watch what was going on, and I know I asked her questions and thought in my mind, my young mind, it's like, wow, this is a brave woman telling her story, and I was at the point where I was into a lot of Black history and culture, and just listening, I believe it didn't resonate until I got a lot older to really understand the importance and the things that she had to go through to break barriers for sexual harassment in the workplace, and for me as a young woman to know that this is the lady that did that, and even when we had what happened with Judge Kavanaugh during his time uh, to be confirmed and the women that came forward. And obviously, Anita Hill's story coming back to the forefront, it means something because she was the one who said, who was not afraid to tell her story. And she was actually raised in Oklahoma. For her to go out her day risking a lot to tell that story, I think we don't give her enough compliments and we don't give her enough accolades because she lost a lot during that process of being able to speak her truth. And I think that's a problem when we have a lot of women run for political office and decide that this is something they want to do and speak their truth. A lot of people want to silence that voice and say they're not ready or they can't do it. And I think that's time out for all of those things because as women, we are mighty. As women, we have gone through great strides. And even as an African-American woman, my intersectionality, you know, I have to learn how to maneuver through a lot of different things. And I think that helps to speak my story and other young women that come behind me and other women that have been before me to tell their story of how they can represent their community and still be a woman representing her home at the same time.
1: Also in this podcast, one thing that we wanted to look into and discuss about is how these episodes are actually created. Like how are women portrayed in the media and what are things that like- that the media misses and things that we should take note of and patterns that we notice when it comes to representing women in politics, regardless of field, if it's a national or state level, how are they being represented to the public? And one thing that we noticed in this episode in particular is the theme of it is women in politics, correct? But the whole episode actually only centered mainly white women. And I think that that's, something that we should acknowledge, especially because in politics, when we say the term women in politics, if you look at the amount of women that do actually have seats, whether it be in Congress or even at state level, a lot of them are white women. And there is a lack of representation of women of color in politics. And I think that the fact that this episode in particular features about five or so women of color in an entire episode that was almost about an hour long, uh, represents the fact that it, it, there, there is a very small percentage of women of color. And I think that it would be interesting to have like a separate episode discussing that, because that's a whole nother issue in itself. I think that uh, the episode could have done a better job going into in the intersectionality of having women representation in politics and uh, the different struggles that women have to go to depending on their identity. Uh, to get that seat in power because I think that the struggle of in the case of the widow's route most of those most actually all of the women that benefited from the women's route were white women and I think that widow's was that
0: was called widow's route
1: yeah did I say something else
0: I think women's route oh (laughs) you're good you're good
1: um uh we're white women and I think that it's is very interesting to see because when you see a documentary in itself that has very few women of color being represented or interviewed in the film, which is basically the setup of this episode is just like a ton of compilation of women being interviewed that are involved in politics. And when you like actually like know each of these interviews down and there's, you can count on your hands, how many women of color are represented is something to take note, and that's a pattern not only in this one episode, but in in politics in general, and I think that um, we have an opportunity to acknowledge that, and it's an observation that has a more pertinent meaning and symbolism that's in real life today, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely benefited from watching this episode of Makers, and if you guys are interested in looking at it um, yourself in your free time, it's available on most streaming platforms, and it's it's a good episode to just, like, get your mind back into the understanding how politics work, how you get your foot in, and encouraging women to do it more often. I um, One of those quotes that a uh, congresswoman mentioned was that she now encourages all women to just run. Like, you see an issue that really bothers you, run for office. Like, you never know what could happen. And I think that that encouragement just to try is something that a lot of women lacked, especially historically and now in a day and age where we have the opportunity to encourage one another to do so it's really pertinent I think this episode does a good job um, displaying that on that case we would like to thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode next time we'll be coming to you with a different documentary thank you guys so much for listening today and we hope that you tune in next time to take a listen to our next episode Mm